all have the potential and all have the assets to make change in our communities. If you are someone who is on the fence about starting something or don't know where to start, just remember that the best way to find your, yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. That's Darren Slack, CEO and founder of Proact Indie. We'll feature Darren's story on The Hopeful Hoosier, Episode 2. I'm Andy Dix. I first met Darren Slack at an Amplify Indie event hosted by my friends Harrison Painter and Josh Bach. Amplify Indie is one of the best monthly events here in Indianapolis that promotes culture, commerce, and community. And Darren was one of the featured speakers to share the Proact story. When I heard Darren's story, I, I was reminded of a modern-day Moses. He's made it his mission to bring at-risk youth out of a very challenging urban environment here in Indianapolis and through service develop meaningful relationships that contribute to creating community, a sense of belonging, and a sense of citizenship that he's seeing some terrific lasting results and he thinks is going to build a very hopeful future for us here in Indiana. Let's hear Darren share his story on Proact Indy. Proact's mission is to engage youth in public service that educates, delights, and inspires the youth and those they serve. We've been able to accomplish so much in the past eight years to the points where we started with 11 kids back in 2010, and now we're serving over 10,000 people a year. That kind of growth is something that I couldn't have imagined six years ago. And now to see our model and our mission actually work and impact lives is really empowering for me, as well as the people that interact and engage with ProHack. A lot of people, when they think about community service, especially with urban youth, they're thinking community service is something that a judge sentences them to. Precisely. Right? Yeah. But you've got a different model and a totally different take on it. Explain that model for us. In my personal life, I traveled all around the world just serving other people, and I found that it wasn't the act of service that was changing me. It was the people. It was the relationships. I wanted to create a model to where we had those relationships at the forefront of everything we do. So anyone that we partner with, any kid that, you know, that we engage with, any adult that volunteers with us, how can we put in the forefront in their minds the value of a relationship? Because I was an at-risk kid, I said, there's nothing out here that truly engages at-risk youth in meaningful community service that focuses on relationships. And so I said, well, here's an opportunity to really start something that is going to really change and impact their life because they don't yet understand how people can truly empower them. And so often our youth believe that service is something that's very punitive. It's something that gets assigned to you because you get in trouble with the law. Because of that, you get labeled a bad kid if you're seen doing service. Our paradigm is like, no, 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 that is not what service is supposed to be. It's something that's fun. It's something that can be engaging. And it's something that can really help you develop a sense of civic duty in your life. Proact's model flips the paradigm to where these at-risk kids are so used to being served we empower them to be the givers and the creators of service. And the adults that work alongside our kids, we teach them, hey, you're not doing service to or for people now. You're doing service with people. So it's focusing on those assets and focusing on those talents and skills that these kids and at-risk communities already possess and bringing that out into the forefront and empowering them to give back and to serve their community. When I first thought about Proact's mission of exposing at-risk youth in Indianapolis to opportunities to provide community service, I was thinking mainly that this was going to be for high school-age kids. I was really surprised to find out that Proact's sweet spot was actually much younger, fifth graders. When we first started Proact, we focused on high schoolers only um, because we saw that, that high schoolers, they were at a point in their life where they needed some direction. And then after a couple years of working with just high schoolers, my wife had the idea to start younger. <laughs> and I was like, uh, I don't think that that'll work because these concepts that yeah, we're teaching, I don't think the younger kids would grasp onto. I was wrong. My wife was right. <laughs> and we started with a group of fifth graders, and it's our most popular program. It's the most popular model now because these kids at age 10 and 11 years old and 12 years old they are looking for that intervention, for those caring adults to come into their lives, to show them a direction for them, to give them vision, to give them purpose, and to help them see their full potential in their life. So that's a perfect age range for us. 
um, to really mold that young person's mind to value service at a younger age. So by the time they get to high school and college, they would know, whoa, I understand now what my purpose is for me. I understand now what I can do to truly empower other people, but at the same time empower myself because I know the skills I have. I know the value I have now. And I know that if I'm myself and I'm comfortable in myself and I have the confidence to be myself, then I can make real change in my life. If you start younger, you were making a difference in helping shape that young person's vision and their potential for growth and change for the future. Share with our listener what the opportunities are for this fifth grader from an urban school to be a part of this team and then maybe even become a team leader. Right. So our model is a cohort model. So at each school that we work in, we recruit no more than 20 kids at each school. And we like to keep those groups small because, one, we focus on the relationship. And, two, it's easier for our staff to truly invest in 20 kids than it is for one staff person to invest in 60 kids. So we keep those groups small so we can really build a relationship with them on an organizational level. But then those kids can truly grow as a family and build that culture in their small group. The opportunity for them is that from the first time that they learn about PROACT, they are being recruited. A teacher is identifying them as a leader. And these are kids that are not usually called leaders. And these are kids that if me or you were to look at them, you'll say, oh man, that kid must be dealing with some things in his or her life. But we don't see that. We see this child as having full potential to do anything that they want want to do. So we teach our schools and the educators that work with us to look for those kids, to see those kids, because these are kids who are not used to being seen. And if we're able to just pick them out of a crowd and say, hey, we noticed that you have leadership abilities and you have leadership skills. Now it's time for you to hone in on those. And it's really empowering for a young person to get a letter that says, you've been chosen and you've been recognized as a leader. And so from the start, they're hooked, right? Because when they come to us, we provide for them opportunities that they otherwise would not have access to. We give them a service trip every month. Yeah, it helps them interact with people that are much different than they are. And at the same time, the types of kids we ask our teachers to recruit for us, they make up a very diverse cohort of kids because we ask for for those teachers to get those at-risk kids who are straight-A students but lack social skills mixed with the straight-D students who are the most popular kids in the school. If we can bring those two types of kids together, we can truly create a dynamic learning environment. And that opportunity there is something that's rare because of the types of type of work that we do. These kids don't usually get the opportunity to really develop an intimate, close relationship with kids that are much different than they are. Darren, describe the process of transformation and development as these kids, when they first meet this group and cohort versus year two and three, what's happened to those kids? I always tell my staff to trust the process. So PROACT has developed a curriculum that is a blended learning model. So we have a mix of team building activities, character education activities, um, leadership activities, as well as a service learning component. With our curriculum, we take them through a process to where they are doing highly relational things within their workshops. Because we meet with them every week at an after-school club, and then every month we go out into the community and serve an organization that's addressing the social issue that we are learning about that particular month. Can you give me an example of one of the issues that maybe they tackle? So one issue, they'll spend four weeks learning about homelessness. What it is, what the history of it is, what it is to Indianapolis and what it looks like. And then they'll go out into the community once a month and that particular month they'll serve lunch at a homeless shelter. We break down their perception of what homelessness is in those workshops. And then during that service project, with that knowledge and being equipped with that knowledge, they can better engage with the people that are affected by that issue. That's how they can come in and really engage with people on a deeper level because they now have a better sense of what it's like to be a person who experiences homelessness. And so we do that for people with disabilities, for people in poverty. We do that for issues like animal welfare even. That's that's one of our issues. This year our kids are learning about police relations and so they're trying to develop a better sense of 
what the purpose of our police force is in our communities and why they're important and why they're needed and how can we better engage with them. And then our kids are also learning about poverty this year as well. They learn about a slew of different social issues because we want them to find their passion, find their purpose. And not everybody likes working with people with disabilities. Our goal is to help that one person find what their passion is by exposing them to all these different types of communities and types of issues. After the kids have been through this program and they've experienced it, what's the goal? Our goal is to really encourage our kids to find what their purpose is. So we want to create three pathways for them. And our job is to help them get enrolled, enlisted, or employed after they graduate from high school. So we want them to find what that pathway is because the reality is that all of our kids are not going to college. All of our kids are not going into some type of service. All of our kids are not going into the straight into the workforce. So our job is to expose them to enough opportunities and enough communities that they figure out what their pathway is. So we help them navigate those systems and help them really say, okay, well now I am an individual who has the power and the knowledge to choose my next step in my life after I graduate from high school. Because you want them to graduate from high school. Then after that, our success is that if, if they stay engaged in positive activities, either in the workforce, either in some type of service, public allies, AmeriCorps, the military, or if they go to school and continue their education in some higher learning institution, then that's a success for us. And then a, a huge mark of success is, is if those kids come back and lead our younger cohorts through our curriculum. Um, because we usually re recruit those college students who come in and lead our cohorts through our programming. And so if our kids who have been through the program come back and do that, then we know that we've made a true difference. Thanks in large part to Darren's leadership, ProAct has experienced tremendous growth in the last eight years. Darren shares some great numbers. We have reached over 17,000 people in the eight years that we've been around. And we have a goal of reaching 20,000 by 2020, and I know we're gonna get there. From 2010 to 2017, we had engaged over 7,000 people total. And this past year, we engaged over 10,000 people. Creating a model and perfecting that model and focusing on quality and not quantity, that has made all the difference. How many schools in Indiana are you involved with now? With our programs, our youth programs, we're in nine schools right now. We've added on at least one or two schools every year for the past three years. So nine schools that we recruit those 20 students in and every year, each school does what we call a legacy project. And this is a project that our youth plan, they fundraise for, and they manage with the goal of engaging their entire school community in some type of project. And so that's where our numbers come from, are those large-scale service projects that, these, that this cohort of youth lead. If our listener is involved in the school system somewhere in Indiana, what's required of the school to become affiliated and a partner with PROACT? So our key tenet is relationships, right? So a school or any partner that works with us has to build a relationship with us. So they have to commit to multiple years of work with us. They have to commit to providing for us what, what we call a school champion. And that school champion is a person that is passionate about this work, who recruits the kids for us, who attends all of our, our workshops to teach these kids about these social economic issues. And in some respects, they come to every service project that we have. And so we want these kids to not, to not only have support on the outside of their community with our staff, but to also have support inside the school with our school champions. So a school has to commit to that. And they have to find that individual that is just as passionate as we are to help instill positive values and um, confidence in our kids with us, alongside us. You're a 501c3 nonprofit. Where does the funding for the majority of these projects come from? Is this from the schools or other sources of funding? So we don't charge the schools anything. So we only go into a new school if we have a sponsor or a grant that has brought us there or an individual donor that has, has said, hey, I, I believe in this so much that I'm going to support this program at this school. We are mostly grant funded right now, so 45% of our dollars come from grants from individuals, from individual foundations and private foundations. About 40% come from, 
come from our corporate partners because we have services that yeah we provide to other businesses and nonprofit organizations to where we plan their service opportunities and service projects. I mean, basically broker service in that sense for those communities. That fee-for-service programs, yeah, they bring in about 40% of our revenue. And the last 10 to 15% come from individuals and families. If someone wanted to find out more about ProAct and how they could maybe get involved, or if they are a corporate person who's involved in philanthropy and would like to become uh, a partner and sponsor of ProAct, how, yeah. how could they contact you? What's the best way? The best way is through our website. So go through our website and fill out a form on our Get Involved page. Or you can call us. We always pick up the phone. That is an organizational policy. We pick up the phone or return the calls of any individual because so, they are always going to work talk to someone. Let's give them both the <laughs> web address and a phone number. So then. our website is www.proactindy.org. So that's P-R-O-A-C-T-I-N-D-Y dot O-R-G. Correct. Okay. And the phone number? Phone number is 317-426-5778. When we come back, Darren, this organization, when we look back eight years ago, was just a dream that you had. Right. Let's talk about how that dream happened and you as a person, because this organization wouldn't be here if Darren Slack hadn't said yes to a big vision eight years ago. Sure. We'll be right back. The Helpful Hoosier podcast is made possible in part by AD Growth Advisors, an executive coaching firm based in Indianapolis, specializing in helping new and emerging leaders and entrepreneurs accelerate their professional development. Learn more at adgrowthadvisors.com. Walk the Talk Speaker Series presents stories told by passionate speakers on topics that are timely yet timeless. For more information, visit walkthetalkseries.com. Our mission is to create an epic shift in how people think. Darren, your story is an amazing one. This organization, now how many full-time employees do you have and and then volunteers as well? We have four full-time employees and eight part-time employees who, who work in schools directly with our youth. None of this would have happened if it weren't for you and your vision. And so take us back nine, ten years ago, when was the moment that this vision really hit you and and describe that for us? Yeah, so I was an at-risk kid myself, and my at-risk background came from um, having a disability and struggling with a disability and lacking those social skills that are normal for a young person. Part of that disability and that perceived disability I have, I should say, is that I have a stuttering problem. And as a stutterer, growing up in a school and a community that didn't understand what stuttering is, that really impacted me and and caused me to have very low self-esteem. I didn't believe in myself. I didn't know what kind of skills I had that could be a positive contributor to my community. And I had no idea what I wanted to be as a kid. And I didn't have any vision for what I wanted to do after I got out of high school or got into the real world. That really affected me to where I didn't have relationships with people like I wanted to because I was so afraid of what they would think about me. In middle school, though, here in Indianapolis, there were a few adults in in my school that saw me. Um, Because as a stutterer, I was so used to not being seen because I, I would just get passed over for things. But these adults saw me. They said, whoa, this kid is excelling in math and science, and he's a good writer, right? So we are going to encourage him to really see his full potential. They saw that I had some athletic ability, and it got me involved in sports. Sports made me connect to a community, and that helped me connect to some people, right, because we had a shared thing. And I was a pretty good athlete, so that brought some more attention for you know, for people to look at me more, right? But inside, I was still struggling and had this, this gaping hole inside me that wasn't being fulfilled or closed by anything. And I grew up in the church and everything, too, and, and, and even then, that was also confounding to me because I always had questions. I was a very precocious kid that always asked why. If I asked why in the church I grew up in, I would always get slapped on the wrist and said, well, you believe these things because we said, that's the message I got. And so that was confusing. So being in school and being in church, I was just so confused with what I was supposed to believe and and who I was supposed to be. 
that by the time I got to college, still struggling with these internal issues and still having this gaping hole inside me, I still didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. But I went to Wabash College and played football and ran track and got an academic scholarship to attend there. Um, but still, I had this disability <laughs> that was still holding me back. And my football coach had a crazy idea to send 20 football players on a mission trip to Botswana, Africa. And where I was in my life, when he presented me with, the, with this idea, I said no. <laughs> I said, I am not going to nobody's Botswana. I didn't want to go for three reasons. One, where I was in my walk of my faith at that time in my life, I didn't feel comfortable going and sharing the gospel with people. Secondly, I couldn't afford it. <laughs> it cost about $3,000 to go. I didn't have that kind of money. And my family didn't have that kind of money, so I wasn't going to ask anybody for that kind of money. And third, as a stutterer, I didn't feel comfortable going to speak to people in another place. And so a few weeks after that conversation, he calls me up and he says, Darren, all you have to do is get your passport and pack your bags because your trip's all paid for. So that took away all my excuses. I said, well, I guess I got to go on this trip now. So I go on this trip, and when I was practicing my story that I was going to share in Botswana, I physically could not get it out. I mean, it was, I had such high anxiety that my voice was not working. I just could not get through a five-minute story. It took me 15 minutes to share the story because I was stuttering so bad. When my coach finally tapped me on the shoulder, once we get to Botswana, he says, Darren, it's your turn to share. I get up in front of this group of about 200, 300 people, and I share this story, and there was no stutter. And it was one of the first times in my life that I realized that I didn't make my mouth, that all I have to do is be obedient, that all I have to do is be courageous enough to do what I am called to do. And at that moment, I was called to share the gospel of Christ. God was telling me, Darren, just be obedient. You didn't make your mouth. I did. And so that gave me enough courage to seek out every opportunity I could to serve my community. So after that trip to Botswana, I went to Ethiopia, I went to South Africa, I went to Israel, I went to Palestine, I went to Ireland, Mexico, I mean, all over the world serving other people. I started to see my life change. I shared earlier that my life didn't change because I was digging a well or building a church or, or planting trees. My life changed because I got to know Amy. I, I got to know Andy. I got to know other people and hear their stories and that was transformative for me. I said, whoa, what if I had this experience at a younger age? How would my life be different? And that's what gave me the vision for ProAct. In 2008, I was at a point in my life to where I was lost. I didn't know what I was wanting to do with my life. My girlfriend at the time said that she was pregnant. I had all these things going on in my life that I was like, what am I doing? Five months before my son was born is when I had this trip to Botswana. Having an experience like that and seeing what my potential could be and seeing that if I'm obedient, that I could just be a vessel for the work that God can do in my life. And so in Botswana, that moment that really captured that and ignited that vision for me was when I shared my story in Botswana. There was no stutter. There was no stammer. It all came out fluid. An older gentleman ran up to me and he said, Darren... I will never forget you. You have changed my life. And at 20 years old, I mean, I didn't think I had anything of value to give to, to anyone else, given my experience in my life. Having someone say that to me really made me feel good. It didn't make me feel good because of what I was doing. It made me feel good that someone had the courage to say that to me and had the, the courage to say that I changed their life because I was so courageous to share this story. With everything that was going on in my life that, at that moment, a pregnant girlfriend, uh, not being comfortable in my faith at that time, not knowing what my faith was completely, and not knowing who I was, being affirmed in that way was saying to me, man, if I had this experience at a younger age, my life could have been so much different because I could have known my purpose at a younger age. I could have known the value of a relationship at a younger age. I could have known and had the confidence to connect with people and get outside my comfort zone at a younger age. That's what prompted that idea and prompted that vision. At the same time, I, re I realized so much about so many different types of people through all those experiences, traveling and serving other people, that I saw the power of service 
being a mechanism for bringing diff many different types of people together to achieve one common goal. And so I said, whoa, okay, this is going to be the opportunity to really bridge gaps through relationships and through service in a very innocuous, transformative way. As a middle schooler yourself who stuttered, I can only imagine the type of bullying and ridicule you faced. And it could have easily forced you just to be silent. Right. How did you overcome that? Overcoming my stutter and the stigma that was attached to me because of my stutter took a long time. It took a long time because I still struggle with the stuttering problem now. It's not gone. It's just that I'm more confident in, in understanding who I am. And years ago, I wanted to get a device that really took away my stutter. And my wife was the one that encouraged me not to get this device because she said, Darren, your stutter makes you who you are. That's you. That, that makes you unique. And you being able to use your voice to empower and inspire others is powerful. Overcoming my stutter, it didn't happen by myself. It happened because of people who are in my life who told me and affirmed for me that I am not my stutter, <laughs> that I am not my disability, I am not what I think is holding me back. I am not that. I am uh, a child of God. I am a person who is who who yeah, who has the ability, who has the skills, who has the brains to carry things through, and I can't make that my forefront and make that part of me, me. <laughs> it's just a part of me, and it, it, it makes me unique, and it helps me stand out, and it helps me be seen now, when where as as a kid, I thought it, I, I stayed back from crowds. I didn't interact with people um, because I was so afraid of what they might think of me and overcoming that by connecting with people and, and surrounding myself with people who are positive influences in my life. That's what helped me overcome that stutter and that stigma. You talked earlier about some teachers who recognized your intelligence, your athletic ability. Is there anybody specific that kind of poured into your life in a way that filled you with hope that you could be something a whole lot more than what you were right now. Absolutely, yes. In, in middle school, I had a guidance counselor who really took me under her wing to encourage me and show me who I was. Her name was Connie Sievertson. We're still friends until this day. And she even came to visit me in college to see a football game that I played in. She's one who understood how my personal life at home affected and impacted my life at school. And she got the full picture of me because she was my guidance counselor. She would always have a word of wisdom for me every single day in school, always. I mean, she never failed in giving some positive word to me that really helped me get through a day. If I was struggling with someone bullying me or making fun of my stutter, she would always tell me, Darren, you're, you, are not, you are not your stutter. She, she would always tell me to um, just keep pushing and keep having confidence to, to do the things that I was called to do, right? Because I was in those honors classes, I was in those AP classes, and she just said, Darren, just stand out there, and you're going to be somebody someday. And she always saw that in me. So she's one. I had a couple football players, too. Jake Gilbert, who's now coaching at Westfield High School now, but he was my coach in college who really understood me and understood where I where I had come from and he didn't care about anybody's stutter he just wanted me to succeed in my life because he knew what I was capable of doing and so he helped me see that for myself and then now my main encourager and the person who mainly speaks life into me is my wife Kayla I mean she is hard to hear sometimes but she always tells me what I need to hear not what I want to hear <laughs> And so that keeps me going, that keeps me grounded as well. So let's go back. You're in college, 2008. You're going to be a new dad. You've got this vision. How do you not get overwhelmed with this and start taking steps to make this happen? Tell us about that journey of converting it from vision to first steps and ultimately a reality. Sure. So I had my son in August of 2008. That was after my trip to Botswana that really impacted my life. That second defining moment for me was to hold my son in my arms and see him look up at me after he was first born. That really told me and showed me that my life is not mine anymore. 
So I had to do something that was going to leave a legacy for my family and for my, my son, right? If we go back a little bit, this was a child that I asked my dad for money to abort. And my dad looked at me and said, Darren, if you are not man enough to take care of this child, I will. But him saying those words to me, it begged me with the question internally to say, what type of man do I want to become? But he, he didn't give me the money because I told him that I'm going to make a decision, not encourage my girlfriend at this time to abort this child. And when he was born, that affirmed that for me, right? My dad was right, right? Like, what type of man do I want to become? And for my dad to say that he will take care of my child made me look at myself and say, okay, well, <laughs> what type of man am I if, if I'm going to let a, another guy take care of my, my child? But that defining moment for me really impacted me and drove me forward to make this vision a reality because I not only saw what service and what relationships did in my own life, but then I had an opportunity to create something that's unlike anything else that focused and valued the power of relationships, the power of people, and creating it into something that is going to be here when I'm gone. The first thing I did was made a decision. I made a decision to actually research everything I could about starting a nonprofit. I made a decision to sacrifice everything I could to make this something. If it's a program to where it's only serving 10 kids a year, then that would have been a success for me. Right? So I made that decision. That was the first thing. The second thing is that I got the right counsel. I started to, to surround myself with people who were strong in areas that I was weak in. And I started to have those people pour into me. I had to be vulnerable in order to do that, to say, hey, I cannot do this well. I need you to help me with this. I don't know anything about a budget for a nonprofit. Can you help me with this? I started to, start to surround myself with those people and get the right counsel. And the third thing I did was you go all out. So you make a decision, you get the right counsel, and then third, you go all out. That's what I did. I went all out. I started it with the counsel that I had who helped guide me through those initial steps. And then the going all out part, um, just being consistent, being open, having integrity, and being a person that yeah that didn't give up even in the midst of failure. If I heard 10 no's, I would get one yes. And that kept me going. And being consistent with these kids, we never cancel a project because there was a kid that said to me that she didn't come one week because she didn't think that we would be there. Early on, I, I, got, I caught on that these kids need consistency. They need people in their lives that are going to be there and show them how much we care for them. Because if we don't show up one day, they won't. And they'll give up, so we can't give up on them. That's what kept me going, the counsel, the making a decision, and then going all out. When I hear about the PROACT program, it seems to me that programming part, the education part is important, but it sounds like in, in hearing you talk, the relationship between the adults and the participants mm -hmm. and the school, that relationship and then the relationship that the, the peers form is probably even more important than the curriculum itself. Is, is that Precisely. Correct? Yes, exactly right. Because the curriculum is important and the education and what we're exposing them to and learning about the different social issues that affect their community, that's important, right? Like I'm a firm believer that programs don't change people, people change people. If we can instill in them the value of their cohort, of their peers, their, the people that they're serving with, if we can make that a, a key tenant in their life, then they will not be afraid to really engage the people that are different than they are, that are, that are going to help them, they're not afraid to ask for help, they're not afraid to ask or do things for other people that are going to help other people get along in their life. And that's the most important thing for us, is that relationship. In the age of social media, where texting replaces conversation, what role do you think this program is in, in helping a middle school kid 
who's going to be moving into a, a bigger high school and then ultimately hopefully college or the military where they're going to need to be able to interact. What kind of benefit do you think is going to happen? How does that take them away from technology into a real conversation? By encouraging teaching our kids to truly interact with people in their community, it will help them put the phone down because they'll start to realize the value of hearing a person's story from that person, the value of connection, the value of being seen. We teach our kids to see people, to notice those people that are disconnected, to notice those people that you might not uh, think of, think twice about if you didn't have this intervention that is ProAct, right? So we teach them to really seek out those people because we never know a person's story, we never know where they are coming from or what they're going through. And so we, we encourage these kids to be confident in knowing that that we are more common and more similar than we might think on the outside. So we start with our kids in fifth grade, and by the time they get to high school, they will be confident enough to notice other people and know, wow, I need to put my phone down now and go connect with that kid that's sitting by himself at lunch. They'll be confident in knowing and not afraid to be that person that is going to bridge that gap and be an example for other people to do the same. What has been the most satisfying outcomes that you've experienced in the eight years of doing ProAct? The most satisfying outcome is seeing that our models works, to seeing that relationships do work, to seeing that the process works. These kids are being fulfilled, these kids' lives are being changed, and the adults that work with our kids, their paradigm is shifting too. And so that is fun to see. And to hear a corporate partner describe ProAct as an agency that makes people feel like their impact lasts beyond the effort, that is very satisfying to me. Do you have any sense yet in the eight years you've been doing this that the kids that have participated in having better outcomes later when they, when they move on, what, what kinds of things are they staying away from? What kinds of mm -hmm. things are they getting into that, that you think is tied directly to this social relationship experience and sense of citizenry and, and service that they're experiencing firsthand through the program? Oh yeah, I think that's very obvious in the kids that come back to their old schools to see how their culture has changed. I was at a school last year and this particular school, a Mary Castle Elementary School, for their fundraiser for their legacy project every year, they do a faculty versus students basketball game. And one of the, the middle schoolers came back that came from that elementary school. He came back to play in this game. And he came up to me and he said, Mr. Slack, Mr. Slack, the culture and dynamics of the school has just has changed so much. And I think it's because of us. I think it's because of that park that we installed on on the grounds here and I think it's because of our club and I said I think you're right Michael <laughs> and to hear him say that was so empowering for me yeah because he's right it, if you go into that school now they are scratching at the walls to get into this club because these were kids who were a part of the legacy project again the legacy project en engages the entire school community so kids who are in second and third grade and now they get to fifth grade and they want to be a part of this club now. And they want to do the things that our kids are doing and being a part of our ProAct and Kids in Action Club. It's empowering for us to see how, how, how these kids are, are refraining from being involved in illicit activity and wanting to stay involved in positive activities, whether it's sports, music, service clubs, or being engaged in ProAct for the eight years that we have our program. They want to be a part of that community and part of that club because they feel connected to it, because they feel like they belong. And that sense of belonging is truly life-changing and life-forming for these kids. These kids that are at risk, their, their home situation could be very unstable and unpredictable. The life environment that they find themselves in can be frightening and dangerous from time to time. All of these things, you've got the influence of drugs and gang activity, uh, you name it, it could all happen here in the inner city in Indianapolis. Yet, by being involved with PROACT, you're saying they're seeing that there's hope. Precisely. Yeah, it comes down to it to where our kids don't care how much we know. They just want to know how much we care. And if we can show them that day in and day out, I mean, they can truly 
see their value and see their worth and see that their lives do matter. When we take our kids to communities that are much different than their own, they see hope because they see that there's more to their life and more to their situation than what they see on 38th and Post. Because there's at-risk kids in Geist. There's more to that situation because we define at-risk as kids who are struggling with something that is affecting their life in a negative way. So it could be a divorce. It could be a loss of a parent. It could be having some type of disability that's holding them back. And if we get those kids to see that there's hope beyond their situation, then that's truly empowering for them to seek out those opportunities, to want to be a part of a community in which they belong. And so they feel more connected that way. When we come back, I want to touch on the fact that not everything always goes as planned. And let's talk about how you've handled some adversity in your journey here. The Helpful Hoosier podcast is made possible in part by AD Growth Advisors, an executive coaching firm based in Indianapolis, specializing in helping new and emerging leaders and entrepreneurs accelerate their professional development. Learn more at adgrowthadvisors.com. Walk the Talk Speaker Series presents stories told by passionate speakers on topics that are timely yet timeless. For more information, visit walkthetalkseries.com. Our mission is to create an epic shift in how people think. So, Darren, the best of intentions and the best laid plans never go exactly the way we think about it. First of all, when you shared your vision with someone who maybe turned out to be a naysayer um, initially, when you said, hey, I want to do this great program, etc., what did they say and, and how did you deal with it? Initially, the first thing was... How are you different than any other organization that does this same type of work? How are you different than the Boys and Girls Club? How are you different than Boy Scouts? How are you different than any other youth serving organization? And at first it was really hard for me to articulate that we're not just engaging kids in service projects and going out and picking an organization and going, all right, let's do this project. What I was missing in my communication was the intentionality behind how we prepare our kids for service how we focus so much on the relationships that we're not engaging kids in trash pickups and park cleanups. We're engaging kids with people because we never do projects that don't have somebody from that community engaged and working alongside our kids. And so at first, when I got a, a naysayer, they didn't understand the intentionality behind that. And that was hard because I was like, can't you see what I see? This is so simple. Can't you see that this is... This is going to work. And it was tough to hear those no's at first. I started ProAct by investing in myself, having half my tips from being a server go towards a startup cost for ProAct, working double shifts and be able to support myself and my family, but also have enough money left over to support 11 kids that were going through this program with me. I think when people saw that I was investing in myself a lot more, and that I was consistent, that I had some invested time and money and blood, sweat, and tears in this. That's when the, I started to get more yeses than noes. But overcoming yeah, those noes initially, it, it was tough. And it took a while because I really had to prove how effective that we were being in what we were doing. I had to prove how different we were from other organizations. And the, that took time. The world has a funny way of trying to stop any force for good and maybe it's the equal and opposite reaction but when you're pushing for something that's positive and and going to be creating a better future for folks here in Indiana Mm -hmm. by helping these kids tell me about how did adversity strike big time and what was it like and how did you find the hope to keep on course and moving forward this past year it was a year of growth for us in more ways than one We grew from serving 2,000 people a year to we served 10,000 people this past year. And with that type of growth, I mean, it didn't come without its challenges. So we struggled a lot internally with with budgeting, with operations, with taking on a lot of things that I didn't foresee that we couldn't at the time, right? It was hard for me to say no to things. I've learned to say no more to people that want to work with us so we don't get stretched too thin. I had to really take a look at myself and being a leader of this organization to realize that I don't know everything. I don't have all the answers, that I need help even, right, as a leader. 
So I think being humble enough to to realize that is important for any leader to recognize. We always have to be introspective as leaders. We always have to be examining and evaluating ourselves so that we can be in tip-top shape to lead our people and lead our staff and lead the people that we serve. And that was tough. I mean, that was, I mean, this past year was a big challenge for, yeah, for me personally, because I took a lot of things personally when I got no's or when we had success, I'd always have in the back of my mind that the success can be taken away just like that, right? So what keeps me going is looking into our kids and seeing the smiles on their faces and seeing that they are still valuing for, from our work and they are still feeling good about the work that we do, that they are being changed and excited about each project, excited about each meeting that, that our, our staff has in their school. And they are excited to keep going and serving their community. And that keeps me going. It's a little Johnny from 38th and Post is telling us where to go next to serve. Is that when Trajan is looking at us and saying, I think that we should go into my neighborhood now because we have trash all over our streets. We have all these things that need to be done in our neighborhood. Can we go there next, Mr. Slack? And that keeps me going. Flash forward another five or ten years, and the program is wildly successful. What do you see? I think that we'll have a community that understands the value of a relationship, that understands that our youth who come from low-income backgrounds or at-risk backgrounds, that they are positive contributors to our community. And I think in five or ten years, we'll see that. Yeah, because those kids are going to come back here, and they're going to work and they're going to be the next leaders of our businesses, of our schools, of our, of our community. And I think that we'll see a, a slew of youth and a slew of people that understand that we are more common than we are different. We're more alike than we're different. And I think we'll see a community that understands that because we would have, have touched thousands of more people with this philosophy and with this model and start to see people for who they are. They're not going to be afraid to see, to ask Andy Dix, Andy, what is your story? And they're not going to be afraid to share their story with them. Do you think that these kids will put roots into this community and not feel the pull that so many Hoosier kids have to, to leave and go to Chicago or go to the East Coast or West Coast because of what they're doing here and seeing the difference they can make in this community. Are they becoming, as your sense, and I know they're young, but do you sense that they're putting in roots here that, that have a, maybe a longer term duration than other kids? Yes, absolutely. I think because of, of the work that we're doing, our kids are building parks. And they are building ramps for people with disabilities they are truly physically changing their community. And so I always say to kids that you are not a product of your environment. Your goal is to make your environment a product of you. And I say that because if they drive past a park that they had a hand in building or creating, they can say, I did that, right? And that helps them feel more connected to this community here in Indianapolis. And we've had some kids go to college out of state but they come back and they always want to get back involved in ProAct. They always want to get back and get connected to what we're doing, either through work or through volunteering with us. My sense is that a lot more kids are going to either stay here and work and live and invest in this community because they now see themselves as being a part of their community and a change maker in this community. And that's going to change our future and change the dynamic of this city and the state. I'm excited for that. So speaking about excitement, what excites you most when you think about what the future has in store for both you and the kids? The thing that excites me the most is that we have an opportunity to replicate our program model in other communities, right? But we can't do that unless we shore up and really impact Indianapolis as much as we can. I'm excited for our potential. I'm excited for the potential of our kids. Um, because there's a lot more kids in Indianapolis. We're in nine schools, right? That's 5% of the schools that are, are here in, in the city. If we're in 60% of the schools here in the city, think of the change that we can make in those kids' lives, but also the surrounding communities' lives that they are in. 
that potential is really exciting for me because there are a lot more people and schools and organizations that want to partner with us and work with us and use our services that if we can really tap into the entire market, then we can truly change the dynamics of how people interact with each other in Indianapolis. So the listener that's stayed with us through this program, if they've been moved and now they're thinking, you know, I have a vision too, here's what I think I can do to make a better future for the folks here in Indiana, what advice would you have for them? We all have the potential and all have the assets to make change in our communities. If you are someone who is on the fence about starting something or don't know where to start, just remember that the best way to find your, yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. Uh, be encouraged to surround yourself with people who will speak truth into you and make that decision to go all out. Make that decision to make sacrifices in other areas of your life to make your dream come to fruition. So the last question I have is, for the person that's listening, what challenge would you like to issue to them to get them to play their part in making a brighter future for us here in Indiana? My challenge is to not be afraid to see people. Not be afraid to see people who are different than you. Because I think that if we can engage more with others who are different than us, who come from different backgrounds, who may look differently than us, I think that we'll find that if we do more listening than talking with people like that that are different than us, then we'll find ourselves being changed more by it than if, and that other person will be changed too because the, now they're being heard, they're being seen. My charge and my challenge is to, to live within your three feet of influence. We have influence three feet in front of us, right, which is an arm's length in front of us. And so we can influence and see every person that we interact with for who they truly are and, and connect with them. I think that we can make real change. Darren Slack, my charge. CEO, founder of Proact Indy, certainly a hopeful Hoosier. Thanks for being on the program. Today. Hey, thanks a lot, Andy. I appreciate you being here. If you'd like more information about Proact Indy, visit their website at proactindy, P-R-O-A-C-T-I-N-D-Y dot O-R-G. Thanks for listening to episode two of The Hopeful Hoosier. I'm your Hopeful Hoosier, Andy Dix. I hope you'll join us again. Hopeful Hoosier is a production of AD Growth Advisors Incorporated. Copyright 2018, all rights reserved.